Season 1, Episode 35, Pete's Podcast, Bible Story Evangelism. We're going to take a look at uh, the first chapter of James to include an introduction, an extra-biblical introduction. Uh, there are some verses that are referenced in the introduction uh, as to the authorship of the book of James and the, the timing or the date of the book of James. Uh, it's divisions, I guess you could say. Uh, it was just a letter. I mean, even the verse numbers and chapters are, are added later. So I would call anything that's not in the Word of God extra-biblical. But it's not wrong. It's just uh, debatable. Let's put it that way. Should that verse have been, you know, should that chapter have come in when it did? Uh, you know, the questions like that. I don't think the chapter divisions were inspired. But anyway, um, I have three verses I've memorized from the book of James. So over the next uh, five, hopefully, days or uh episodes, we will take a look at chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5 of the book of James. But today we've got the introduction to get through, and I, I always go back to Charles Ryrie, who was a pretty notable theologian of the late uh, 20th century. Uh, he was pretty old in the beginning of the 21st century, but uh, he told us don't hold him to anything, don't hold him to anything that he wrote in his study Bible of the late 20th century because he's changed his mind on a lot of things. I think God's Word doesn't change, but our commentaries do and our thoughts sometimes do um, change over time. Anyway, so uh, I would call, this is my own little creation here, Christianity 101, and I'll explain why I call it that. Well, uh, Weston a theologian of the 19th century, called it the first epistle to the Christians. Uh, its authorship is James, the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his mother, Mary's sister, Mary. I guess Mary was a very popular name even before uh, to have two sisters named Mary, but that's what I've read. This is extra biblical. You can. I'm not going to fall on my sword about it. But anyway, the son uh, of uh, Alphaeus and Mary, and the first cousin of Jesus, called his brother because that's what family members did back in the day. At any rate, um, the writer of James is called the just. He's also called the less, and I read that that's because he was actually a little shorter than James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, who was in the inner three of the apostles, Peter, James, and John. But this is James, the less. It had to do with his height. Uh, mentioned by Paul with Cephas, also known as Peter, and John as pillars in the church at Jerusalem. So you'd be real tempted to go with Peter, James, and John being not only Christ's inner three, in the inner circle of the three, Mount Transfiguration, uh, P 
Peter and James, or James and John's mother came and said, you know, I want my sons to sit on your right and left hand. And Jesus said, that's not mine to give. Anyway, um, and all of this is extra biblical. So it's either James, the cousin of, of Jesus, or it's James, the son of Zebedee. And I guess we'll leave it at that. Sons of thunder. Um, <clears throat> but he was mentioned... Uh, uh, James was mentioned in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, when Paul said that he had visited the apostles uh, in Jerusalem uh, and they had given him the right hand of fellowship. James was the, the leader of the church in uh, Jerusalem. I think it was this James that uh, when he came to visit Peter, uh, in Antioch or somewhere in Asia Minor. By the way, yesterday I said I, I, that that sermon was given in Antioch, which was in the central part. They they landed at Pergamum. Uh, John Mark left, and they went on to Antioch, which became the center of of the missionary church, uh, Gentile church, in Asia Minor. Okay. He seems to have been a religious man, austere, legal, ceremonial. That comes from Acts 21, verses 18 to 24. Uh, the date, the tradition fixes the martyrdom of James around the year 62 A.D. or A.D. 62, in the year of our Lord. But this epistle shows no trace of the larger revelations concerning the church and the distinctive doctrines of grace made through the Apostle Paul. Paul talked a lot about church organization, especially in Titus and Timothy, um, about elders and deacons, even, now, nor even the discussions concerning the relation of Gentile converts to the law of Moses, which Paul talked a lot about. But uh, I think they decided to abstain from blood and to remember the poor. I think James was part of that discussion with Paul, uh, the, the writer of this epistle. In my opinion, I'm, you know, this is extra biblical. But Charles Ryrie said it's a good idea to, to go over this kind of stuff and, and get a time frame for it, <clears throat> which culminated in the first council in Acts chapter 15 over which James provide, presided. So he was a natural leader, I guess, um, and he was kind of in charge of the church in Jerusalem, which wasn't a very safe place to be a believer, and why he was martyred even before the Apostle Paul, before Apostle Paul wrote anything. So one thing that scholars like to say is that James is not a rebuttal to the grace of God presented in Paul's epistles. Um, this presumes the very early date of James, which may confidently be set down as the first epistle to Christians by a theologian named Weston, which if C.I. Schofield is quoting him, I'm sure he's a 19th century theologian. Theme of the book of James. By the 12, by the 12 tribes scattered abroad, we are to understand not Jews, but Christian Jews, of the dispersion. The church began with such, the church began with such, Acts chapter 2, 5 through 11. And James, who seems to have 
left, who seems not to have left Jerusalem, would feel a particular pastoral responsibility to these scattered sheep. They still resorted to the synagogue or called their own assemblies by that name, which the Greek word for assembly is synagogue, by that name, which from my what I understand really isn't a Moses thing. Synagogues were started in the captivity um, when the tribes were taken captive, uh, most, most notably by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and they, they couldn't go to the temple. And so they established their synagogues as meeting places. Uh, they weren't offering sacrifices there or anything that I'm aware of. But um, anyway, they're not, they're something that just came about because they were needed, a place to meet, which assembly is synagogue in the Greek. It appears that James 2, 1 through 8, that they still held synagogue court for trial of cases arising amongst themselves as uh, expatriate uh, Israelis. They lived in other countries and they still conducted themselves and as immigrants do, I guess. Uh, the epistle then is elementary in the extreme. That's why I call it Christianity 101. I think it's a good way to look at it and you can decide for yourself. Maybe it's, you know, the the hardest epistle in the world to understand. I don't think it is. It's written to the, the dispersed Jews that had to leave Jerusalem because of the Romans disbanding the area, um, or persecution, I should say. It, the, the temple hasn't been destroyed until AD 70, so that hasn't happened, and the mass scattering of all Jews occurred. These are just Christian Jews if you will. I think they prefer the name Messianic Jews, but what I don't know what they prefer. I have known one, worked with one for 30 years uh, at Florida Christian School. To suppose that James 2, 14 through 26 is polemic or an argument against Paul's doctrine of justification is absurd. And we're going to tackle that in uh, the next lesson in, J in James chapter 2. Neither Galatians nor Romans was yet written. So it's absurd to say that, that James was contradicting the gospel of the grace of God in Galatians or Romans um, when they hadn't even been written yet. That's why he calls it absurd. James, and when I say that's why he calls it, that's these are Schofield's notes. So again, you can just throw them all. Maybe I'm wasting my time. I don't know. I'm just following... Uh, a theologian named Charles Ryrie, and, and I found it uh, useful to understanding uh, the Word of God. But it's all debatable. The Word of God really isn't, it's, it's not debatable. It, it, it is what it is. It can't mean something else. I'm not saying we always rightly divide it, but we need to study to rightly divide it. Outward religious service. How to be a Christian. How to to Speak and do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Chapter 2, verse 12, which I think is really the key to understanding chapter 2. Outward religious service as expressed as an expression and proof of faith. Show me your faith by your works. I, 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 t I told you a couple lessons ago, if not last time, you know, it seems like my whole Christian life I've been 
trying to get people to trust Christ and saying it's not of works lest any man should boast. But works are very important. We're going to be judged by our works. We're not going to be judged for our sin. Christ was judged for our sin in the first judgment that took place 2,000 years ago. And now we're judged. The only sin that will keep someone out of heaven is the sin of disbelief, of sin because they believe not on me. So, which I covered uh, a few chapters ago. Um, John 1, 18, I think. No, not John. Anyway, sorry. Uh, James, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of judgment because, no, of, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world, also known as Satan, is judged. So, James, the theme then is religion, outward religious service as the expression and proof of faith. He does he telling the Jews scattered around that they should get to work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Before ordained. There's an interesting couple of words. He does not exalt works against faith, but faith should produce works. His style is that that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. His style is that of the wisdom books. Wisdom books says, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. James says, faith without works is dead. We'll talk about it, James chapter 2. Um, we also talked about how it's fundamental to the doctrine of Christ to repent of your dead works because they are absolutely dead also in a sense. And so are your works. Or so is your faith dead at the judgment seat of Christ because there's nothing but believers at the judgment. And this is why eternal judgments are fundamental doctrinal truths. Hebrews 6.1 that I've been saying almost in every lesson. Yeah, I think the first lesson I taught, episode one, was talking about a verse that I think is key, and that is Hebrews 6.1. Um, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, which I'm still pretty weak on, and eternal judgment. Somebody said to me, it says eternal judgment. It doesn't say judgments. Uh, well, there's just one judgment for each of us. It's either going to be the judgment seat of Christ for reward in heaven, or the judgment, the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennium for punishment in hell. It's Yeah, you're right. It is one judgment for you, my friend, and one judgment for me. And I know which one it is for me. And I know which one I hope it is for you. But seek and you shall find. If you don't want to seek, if you don't want to find, you won't. The reality of faith tested by the tongue, which is Christianity 101. Uh, these, are, these are five divisions that Schofield set up. The testing of faith, and that's one of my memory verses. Um, 
Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Uh, second uh, division is the reality of faith tested by the tongue. Okay, number one is faith, the testing of faith. Number two, reality of faith tested by the tongue. And it talks about how hard it is to control that little member and how much trouble it can get us into. The rebuke of worldliness. That's why I, uh, I have, for I have determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. I just don't want to talk about the sky falling constantly, which is all that people want to talk about. Um, for the rich warned and um, the fourth division which I meant to look up and I didn't so I'll let you look it up or maybe I'll talk about it next time we start it's called H-O-R-T-A-T-O-R-Y Horatory so I could take a look at it real quick and see if I can figure out what it means here um it starts in uh, 5 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may desire. I'm, I'm in the wrong book. I'm sorry. That was First Peter. Um, so I try to avoid flipping through the Bible here. 5 7. Okay. Exhortation. Okay, there we go. Exhortation in view of the coming of the Lord. That's what oratory means. Exhortation. Encouragement. Okay, so knock that one. That's just Schofield's note anyway. I think I am going to call it an evening. And I'm going to start with chapter 1 on episode 36. Lord willing, tomorrow. So I will say, vaya con Dios, which is go with God. And probably my most favorite uh, way to say goodbye, adios, which means to God.